It's Wednesday, September 22nd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. It didn't take much time for the first test to come through on the Texas abortion law. A San Antonio physician named Alan Braid recently wrote an op-ed admitting that he performed an abortion despite the new law. What came next were actually two lawsuits against him, with neither of the plaintiffs having a particular objection to the abortion, but rather looking to challenge the law. Elizabeth Findell, Texas reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for why they are suing. Next, immigration at the southern border continues to be a problem with the latest epicenter in Del Rio, Texas, as thousands of Haitian immigrants have set up a makeshift camp under a bridge as they wait to be processed by Border Patrol. In the meantime, the Biden administration is getting heat from both Republicans and Democrats for the worsening situation. Sabrina Rodriguez, national political correspondent at Politico, joins us for more on the latest immigration crisis. Finally, as commercial companies have taken over most of the flights to low Earth orbit, NASA is reorganizing to put a new focus on deep space. NASA is looking toward the development of new tools like habitats and rovers to new propulsion systems. Christian Davenport, space reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for how NASA is looking to deep space for its long-term goals. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. And he figured, you know, if someone was going to make $10,000, it might as well be him. Or if not, he wanted the court to sort out whether this law was legitimate or not. Joining us now is Elizabeth Findell, Texas reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Well, we now have our first test of the new Texas abortion law that went into effect on September 1st. There was a doctor in Texas who actually wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post and explained himself, saying that he wanted to provide care for this woman and and did perform an abortion. She was in her first trimester, but it was after, you know, whatever the statute was in the Texas law. And now we have our first test, as I mentioned, actually two tests. There's two lawsuits that have been filed against this doctor now. So, Elizabeth, what are we seeing with these? Well, it's interesting because, of course, the Texas law was designed so that the state is not the architect of enforcement. It essentially deputizes private citizens either in Texas or anywhere else to sue anyone they think might have assisted in in abortion and potentially earn, you know, $10,000 or more. And so after this editorial was public, you had two different former attorneys in different states file lawsuits who are not affiliated with any pro or anti-abortion groups and are just sort of random dudes. (laughs) Um, Neither of them really object to the abortion in any particular way. Like you said, they're kind of random guys, but they want to test the law more, it seems like. That's definitely correct. One of them is a former attorney up in Chicago, and he essentially said that he thinks it's hypocritical of the GOP to try to control people's bodies. He said he doesn't believe in, you know, some of the pandemic things like wearing a mask, 
being forced to get a vaccine. And he sees this law as sort of hypocritical to that vision. And then the other man is a former attorney in Arkansas who's actually serving a 15-year sentence for tax fraud. So he's on home confinement. And he said he read about the case and it made him mad because he thought it was sort of an end run were his words around established law. And he figured, you know, if someone was going to make $10,000, it might as well be him. Or if not, he wanted the court to sort out whether this law was legitimate or not. Yeah, the quote from him on that one, as you just said, if someone's going to get that $10,000, it might as well be me who gets that money. So, I mean, you can kind of see where the motivation there is a little bit. But as I mentioned, first test of the law What would propel this, I guess you could say, to higher courts up to the Supreme Court where it would ultimately really have to get hashed out to kind of come down on this? I mean, could both of these things get thrown out? The doctor already admitted that he did perform the abortion. I think there are a lot of questions at this point because these are the first cases that we've seen under this law. So I don't know if we know super well what this level of proof is going to be for establishing what abortion did occur, and then which of these cases will move forward. If they both continue to move forward, both of these gentlemen are representing themselves. They don't have more established attorneys handling them right now. And so because we haven't seen this before, it's hard to know exactly how these cases are going to move. But it does seem to be this sort of interesting situation of the law working almost the way it was designed to work with just sort of Joe Citizen suing someone he thinks might have performed an abortion. I mean, you got some statements from uh, the Texas Right to Life organization, one of the, from their legislative director. They haven't sued anybody yet. And, and there's kind of even being cautious with this. Also, they said, you know, we don't really know all the details of this particular case. You know, when exactly was the abortion performed if they had detected a heartbeat yet? Um, so even, you know, some of these uh, anti-abortion groups are being really careful with this. Because as, as I mentioned, you know, the ultimate goal of all these legal challenges is going to be to get it to the Supreme Court to put like a final uh, decision on all of this. Yes. And usually when you have that happen, there's a sort of test case that people are looking for. And I think the lawsuits that we saw filed yesterday are not necessarily the test cases that either side was looking for and because no one really knows what's going to happen. But they had that opportunity to come forward because of the way this law is designed and in part because neither side sued themselves, neither the pro-abortion rights groups or the anti-abortion groups jumped immediately on this doctor's admission. Elizabeth Findell, Texas reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is as bad as I've ever seen it. There is no southern border. It's pure chaos. There are literally thousands of migrants that have come, and there's tens of thousands on the way. Joining us now is Sabrina Rodriguez. National Political Correspondent at Politico. Thanks for joining us, Sabrina. Thanks for having me. Let's talk a little bit about immigration. The Biden administration has been having a very tough time getting a handle 
on everything. There's been all sorts of different crises at the border, we can say. But the one that we're dealing with right now is in Del Rio, Texas. That's the epicenter right now where we're seeing a huge influx of Haitian immigrants there waiting uh, just under a bridge. They've made like a makeshift little tent city right there. And, and uh, a lot of them are being uh, are, are waiting to be processed by Border Patrol. So uh, right now, I, as I mentioned, Biden administration just having a really tough time getting a handle on all of this. And uh, they're receiving a lot of criticism from both sides, Republicans and Democrats. So, Sabrina, help us walk through some of this. What are we seeing? Yeah, well, I mean, you summed it up well. You know, since the beginning of the Biden administration, we've been seeing again and again and in monthly statistics from Customs and Border Protection, thousands of migrants arriving at the border. And right now, Biden is still using a Trump era public health order to be able to kick out most migrants without allowing them to actually seek asylum and actually remain in the United States. But, you know, right now, this week, we've seen lots of headlines and it's really dominated, you know, cable news segments seeing, you know, thousands of mostly Haitian migrants arriving at the border. Given the situation in Haiti, a lot of people had kind of been calling that something like this could be happening in the coming months, in the coming weeks. Um, You know, the country saw devastation after both the assassination of its president a couple months ago and a recent 7.2 magnitude earthquake. So the situation in Haiti has been very bad for a while now. And then add in, you know, the majority of the the migrants that we're seeing now at the border actually have not lived in Haiti for a long time. They actually, you know, some of them are coming from as far as Brazil and Ecuador and Chile, where they've been living since the 2010 earthquake. But You know, right now, seeing all these Haitian migrants arriving has reignited the debate about what Biden needs to do at the border. And there's a lot of division about it. You know, progressives are upset with deportation. Moderates want more border security. Republicans are blaming Biden. You made mention in your article, it's not just, uh, you know, know, the, the situation obviously keeps evolving. Right now, we're seeing those Haitian immigrants there. Earlier, it was uh, people that were coming from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. But really, we're seeing an influx from all over the place. Nicaragua figures into this, Cuba. Really, the whole, uh, as you mentioned, the whole hemisphere is kind of going through this right now. You know, so it's putting a lot of pressure on the Biden administration. And a lot of it has to do with messaging. The Biden administration wanted to project a message of 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 a more humane immigration system. But they just haven't been able to get that in order. And in the meantime, you know, the messaging in all these other countries is kind of like, hey, let's go right now. The reality that we're seeing is Biden on the campaign trail really promised to undo what he considered to be, you know, Trump's cruel and inhumane immigration policies and just the restrictive policies that we saw of the former the former administration. So Biden, you know, by having that messaging kind of came into office with these high hopes, high expectations, but implementing the vision that he has for immigration, while Democrats across the board are supportive of it, it's very difficult to do. And it's not something that gets done in a couple months or even in a year. It's a process of years to tackle some of the issues going on in Central America or to, you know, revamp the U.S. asylum system. And some of it actually relies on Congress, which we know has, you know, historically been unable to pass immigration reform. So a lot of the messaging is where, you know, Biden's getting the most blame right now of him, you know, promoting Republicans, say, promoting an open border policy. In reality, the United States border is not open. He does not have an open borders policy. But People are saying, you know, whether that's the truth, uh, there's still that perception for many migrants and 
seeing you know, much of Latin America has been ravaged by the pandemic, has ongoing economic crises. Different countries have like are in political turmoil at the moment. That really just puts kind of the perfect storm for what we're seeing. There was a recent political morning consult poll that the majority of people found that they trust Republicans more to handle things like the border than they do Democrats. So that's a, that's a really trouble spot for the administration and for Democrats, you know, hoping to keep power. Democrats privately, one of their concerns, though, is a lot of them are supportive of Biden's vision and they don't necessarily want to resort to any of the policies they saw the Trump administration do. But they want Biden to do a better job of explaining what the plan is, explaining what he's going to do and, and doing a better job executing that strategy because they have to go back to their districts in 2022 when we know that it's going to be a competitive election and they have to go back to their districts and justify what's going on and explain it. And, you know, right now we're seeing, you know, another a Reuters Ipsos poll showed only 38% of U.S. adults approve of how Biden's handling immigration. That does make it tougher when Democrats are going back to their district to, you know, support the president and, and you know, sell their agenda, whether it's focused on immigration or not. Sabrina Rodriguez, national political correspondent at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And using that for you know rocket fuel, rocket propellant, and going off into Mars and, and, and having rovers and new forms of propulsion so that you can get there quicker and better protection against radiation. All those really hard challenges, they're saying, you know, let's go try to do that. Joining us now is Christian Davenport, space reporter at The Washington Post and author of The Space Barons. Thanks for joining us, Christian. Sure. Thanks for having me. Well, we've seen a lot of private companies make their way into low orbit now. We're talking about SpaceX. They've done a lot of stuff, actually. But, you know, Blue Origins and Virgin Galactic and, and all that. But, you know, where is NASA in a lot of all of this stuff? Right now, NASA is reorganizing to put a new emphasis on deep space. They're obviously trying to get a mission to the moon and beyond that to Mars. And they're starting to refocus what they're going to do. They have a, a new um, directorate. They're calling it the Exploration Systems Development, and they're going to be doing a lot of cool stuff with that. So, Christian, help us walk through some of this. What you're seeing is NASA invested in the in the private sector and the growing commercial space industry, like Elon Musk's SpaceX, for example, and some others. And now, like, you know, for example, SpaceX flies not only cargo and supplies to the International Space Station, uh, it's been doing that for a number of years, but it flies astronauts there. It provides like a taxi service to the International Space Station. And NASA's, which, you know, by the way, like a decade ago, is very skeptical about the commercial industry and not wanting to cede any of that responsibility to the private sector. Now, there's been sort of a cultural change within the agency and they embrace it and they embrace it so much to say, you know what, hey, if the private sector can take care of that, that will allow us to go off and do the big ambitious things, you know, seeding, uh, let them have low Earth orbit and we'll go off to explore the bigger, harder challenges, like not just going to the moon, but setting up a permanent presence on the moon, building a space station that would be in orbit around the moon, building a camp on the moon where you could then mine for resources uh, like the water that's in the form of ice on the south pole of the moon, and then taking that water, the hydrogen, the oxygen, and using that for you know rocket fuel, rocket propellant, and going off into Mars and, and, and having rovers and new forms of propulsion so that you can get there quicker and better protection against radiation. All those really hard challenges, they're saying, you know, let's go try to do that. 
And so they're, you know, sort of reorganizing and building a whole new sort of layer in the bureaucracy that would be focused on all of those development efforts, you know, focus on the future. Now, you did mention in the article that there are likely to be critics about this, and uh, one of them has to do with creating these new levels of bureaucracy. I, I mean, what what would critics say about some of this stuff? Because this has kind of been talked about a long time. We know it's expensive, but it's something at, at large, I feel like, that the country wants to do this space exploration stuff. So what do critics say about this and NASA reorganizing yeah. like this? Anytime you've gotten sort of a big change and, you know, a big government bureaucracy, there are going to be people just sort of fear change. And I think there are some legitimate questions to be asked about how is this all going to be set up? If you have two different budgets, two different leaders, you know, if one is doing the development side and sort of growing the technology and maturing it to the point where, okay, now it's proven, it's operational. How do you do that handoff? Are both sides synced together? Are they working together? You know, are they messaging, you know, to, to, to Congress and to the private industry? Are they, you know, from the very beginning, when you get something under contract, how does that work when you have two different sides to it? The heads of these two missions, uh, Jim Free and Kathy Leaders, spoke today and they said they're going to work very well together, hand in glove. But, you know, you've seen in the past, it's sort of human nature, too, that sometimes when you've got two separate entities like this, there will be egos. It's just sort of, you know, the way humans are wired and maybe some competition. So it's going to take some you know, real work to make sure that they really do work closely together and are aligned together. And by the way, this is, as Pam Melroy, the deputy NASA administrator, said to me this morning when I talked to her that, you know, in a lot of ways, this is how the one works. You know, if they're looking for a new weapon system that goes through a sort of a development phase before it gets to sort of the operational phase and another team kind of takes it over and runs with it. The last time we spoke, we were talking about delays. I think it was the spacesuits delays there. So they had a target of getting astronauts on the moon by 2024. It seems like all that's going to be pushed back. The good news is, and we haven't said that in a long time, the Space Launch System rocket and the Orion spacecraft that would take the astronauts to, you know, at least the vicinity of the moon appears to be making real progress down at the Kennedy Space Center. They actually are assembling it in the vehicle assembly building and uh, going through some tests. And the NASA Administrator Bill Nelson said today he's still holding out hope. The first mission in the Artemis program could go off as early as the end of this year, although it's possible it could slip into early next. And that would be a test flight of the Orion spacecraft that wouldn't have any astronauts on board. Remember, these are all autonomous spacecraft. They fly themselves but it would go in orbit around the moon on an uncrewed test mission and then come back. If that goes well, then, you know, we would go to Artemis II, where you put astronauts on board and put them in the Orion spacecraft and do a similar mission in orbit around the moon. Bill Nelson was talking about that being in the vicinity of 2023, maybe 2024, and then a landing sometime thereafter. Now, to get them to the surface of the moon, they have to have, uh, you know, another spacecraft, a lunar lander spacecraft for that. And as you may know, SpaceX won the contract for that. But Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin has filed uh, an appeal and is protesting that decision saying that the procurement was flawed and um, they want are uh, trying to get, you know, to compete for that. And so that's being held up right now in the courts. And that's uh, causing a delay as well on its own. Christian Davenport, space reporter at The Washington Post and author of The Space Barons. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. 
that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>